This podcast is brought to you by the book Freedom from Fatigue by Tammy Guest. Find out more at TammyGuest.com. FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. I'm here with the On the Road series of FX Medicine. Today we're visiting Tammy Guest. Tammy's a naturopath who graduated from Southern Cross Uni in 2007, and she's dedicated much of her career to caring for people who have suffered burnout, adrenal fatigue. But one day Tammy herself realised that she was suffering burnout and she decided to specialise in caring for these patients who have exhaustive fatigue and just can't carry on with normal daily activities of living. Well, I've got to say, talking about being in nature, we're here at your beautiful place here um, in the, the outreaches, let's say, of Newcastle. And I've got to, I'll just take our listeners through what I'm looking at. I'm, I'm overlooking a back deck, looking at a, a small paddock of the adjoining properties, looking at some sheep grazing there, rolling on their backs like a dog. We've been listening to the bellbirds um, tweeting just, just recently. I'm not sure if they'll come through on the microphone. And of course, the kookaburras are hanging around waiting for a feed. So Tammy, I think where we need to start is right back to even before your naturopathy training, because you've had a really varied career and one that's based in the medical model. Can you take our listeners through where it all started from you and indeed what drew you to that line of work? Yeah, so I started my my health kind of journey when I was uh, finishing my high school and thinking, well, what can I do? And um, I was excellent at English. I really was excited about the human body and um, learning just seemed really easy for me. What happened was I had a conversation with my dad and I said, hey, I think I'm going to do a Bachelor of Arts degree. And he said, you know, the only thing you're going to get out of that is the ability to say, would you like fries with that? (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Right. Okay, plan B. Plan B is to find the degree with the longest name. So I went off and did a Bachelor of Applied Science in Medical and Applied Biotechnology. So on Friday nights at the uni bar. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'd pull that one out. Yeah, so um, I studied um, and, and I absolutely loved it. I, I have been fascinated by the human body and by biology and how it all works together. And um, I ended up getting out of that degree um, and going straight into cancer research. So uh, I went into cancer research for a couple of years um, at the University of Newcastle and then I decided I wanted to see the world. And um, I vowed never to be in a laboratory ever again. Ah! <laughs> I got over to London and, uh, and got a couple of jobs behind the bar and realised, oh, they don't quite earn as much money as a laboratory job. So uh, I got back into pathology over there in um, 
uh, guys in St Thomas Hospital, um, Oncology Hospital over in Bristol and some other places while I was over there. And when I came back, I ended up working in a number of different hospitals down the east coast of Australia uh, in pathology, histopathology, microbiology. And, um, and haematology was my favourite, blood, love blood. So I have to ask, did you see a, a huge variance in the type of services and I guess therefore leading on from that, the care in the Australian to the UK system? Uh, the UK system, I spent a lot of time in teaching hospitals over there and so they are much more inclined to um, be focusing in on research as well as the clinical application of that research. And I, I didn't find that here in, in Australia. Um, over here, it's very much the, the hospital and how it's done. It's always been done that way type yep. of scenario. Which is sad. Yeah, it's not very progressive. And, um, and I'm one that has a bit of a progressive, innovative mind. And so, uh, yeah, sure enough, I, I got a little bit stale with it all. And um, after spending some time on night shifts, and running, you know, doing the venous exercise side of things and um, venipuncture and coming out at two o'clock in the morning and taking blood from somebody who's obviously, even without my nutrition training, obviously B12 deficient, dehydrated and, you know, could do with a good cuddle and a good talk. Um, I'd got jack of it. It, it. it was disheartening, like from a heart space. And um, I would have to then go back check this antibiotic level or check some other level knowing that in three hours time I'd have to wake them up in the middle of the night again and for an 80 something year old lady which is the one that sticks out in my mind it was absolutely horrible and um, and so I pretty much got off that particular shift and decided that's it I'm going to go and do nutrition and um, I ended up in the bachelor's degree in naturopathy up at um, Southern Cross Uni. Now, before we get into that, I need to go back to this pathology sort of arena of your life or career of your life. How did that gel with embracing the science and loving it, but having in the background that art, that, that English, that, dare I say the word, artistic portion of your life? What was happening there for you? Yeah, so I was, um, <laughs> interestingly enough, by day, uh, at the, at, in the pathology and, and by night I'd be spending time doing, um, being in social circles where natural health, natural ways of well-being and paganism even was, wow. uh, yeah, yeah. Um, in my very early 20s, that was something that I was really interested in and it kind of kept my hand in the natural seasons, the natural cycles without it being, you know, what I was paid to do. So paganism... Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, interesting. I went to Catholic schools and, um, and I've, I've had a breadth of exposure to different um, ways of thinking and being. Um, but I have always been enamored by the nature of things. But I, I really bridge nature and science together because, I mean, it's all energy, it's all atoms, it's all quantum physics. I just label it that way, and sometimes people label it paganism. So, well, I, I, look, I like the way that you you spoke about some old people needing a bit of a talk and a cuddle because this is something that is sadly lacking in the medical system. It's understaffed; they don't have time to do that, not for want of trying sometimes. But 
it's been shown clinically that nursing homes that have pets, for instance, they have better outcomes for their patients, they have lead, they lead happier, healthier lives until their demise. But even in cases in acute uh, situations, uh, for instance, the Alfred Hospital, they've done a beautiful little study. This is um, Professor Frank Rosenfeld, Leslie Braun, Ondine Spitzer, Lisa Stangatz, there's a few. Um, they've shown that massage, and forgive me, I've omitted the naturopath that was leading the massage, call out to you and I forget your name, I'm sorry. Even cardiac surgery patients, acute care, those people that had, and it was a foot massage, they didn't want to go anywhere where there was drips, drain, surgery sutures, or even somewhere where it might be a little bit intimate, like the shoulders. So they did a foot massage. And even a foot massage showed clinical benefits. Why isn't medicine embracing these simple things for that there's no drug for that? Why don't they em- embrace that? Mm, it's a good question, yeah. And uh, my, uh, my cynical mind goes with finance, you know. Um, there is only so much money to go around to so many therapeutics and those therapeutics, if they happen to be a tactile therapeutic, you can't really get a pharmaceutical company to be paying for that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, but I have seen uh, all of that and and more. I've seen um, massage. I've seen aromatherapy. I've seen um, conversation and um, just spending time. And like you said, pets uh, uh, in, in therapy. There are so many elements. And there's more and more research showing the energetic connection so much more research showing the um, brainwave and neuroscience connection. And it's just a matter of time before that becomes too much to not to ignore anymore. Yeah, totally agree with you. I just hope that day is sooner rather than later. So let's move on to your nutrition training, because this is really interesting. And how did you marry the very hardcore science that you had with the more I'm, I'm going to say less say evident, less evidence-based naturopathic sort of training. How did you marry that together and bridge the gap? Mm, so um, I remember the day perfectly. I'd, I'd come off uh, night shift. I was I was doing permanent night shift at that time at, at a local hospital here. And uh, so 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shifts for 11, love them. for 11 months. So I, I had started to notice how ridiculous that actually is on the human body mm-hmm. through my personal experience. And uh, I'd come off and, and uh, as I mentioned, that, that elderly lady and I went, right, that's it. Um, where can I do nutrition training? And I was looking up dietetics. I was looking up. Uh, nutrition I was looking at, and at the time there was um, smaller colleges doing you know home study nutrition training and coming from a, a very academic world and um, and I really rate academia I really rate um, university training uh, I knew I wanted to go to university again so um, I was looking around for universities that did um, nutrition or dietetics and every dietetics course because of my background in biochemistry I didn't understand that the, the lack of um, fundamental components of building blocks that create nutrition versus a prescription of 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 a, a particular diet and I, I, 
I, I have a bit of a leaning towards the scientific literature and um, and with biochemistry as my basis, nutrition just seemed so much more along my lines. And so when I was looking, um, there wasn't a pure nutrition course really available at that time and I was joining mid-year. And um, I had a look and, and just so happened there was mid-year intake for Southern Cross. And uh, it, they had a nutrition, massive nutrition component in their naturopathy degree. Uh, as in it, it went for the entire time you were there. Every semester you did a nutrition unit. And, and it was biochemical based, you know, it was, it was science based. And then all those little inklings that I'd had with that um, elderly lady, when it came to uh, counseling, when it came to uh, conversation, when it came to practice, um, they also had a student um, clinic that was on site. So I, I knew it was the thing for me. And I, um, interestingly, they had five days before it was, um, they were gonna take the intake. I rang them up, I was on the phone and, um, and made sure that Hans knew I was, Hans Wildermuth knew I was ready to go. And uh, next week I was up there. Now you lived in Newcastle or near Newcastle uh, in those days and you traveled up to Southern Cross Uni. And this was in the, its heyday when Professor Stephen Myers headed the, the, um, the faculty of naturopathy. Um, but you used to do a lot of traveling in those days. Tell me about that. Yeah, so the first year I, um, I was lucky because my degrees were within 10 years of one another. I got a, a bit of um, advanced standing for some of my units. And, um, and I, my first year was a solid first year. But what I noticed, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, what I noticed was um, uh, the propensity for me is to achieve. So I, I want to do absolutely my best at university, but then I, I also want to make sure that I'm doing my best at my job and I had to have a job at the time I, I couldn't just go to university so I was I was working at the hospital there in pathology so uh, doing that and doing the uni degree and then uh, taking up a third <laughs> a third thing was taking up my time and so I um, I, I kind of got burnt out at the end of that first year and decided actually what's the point of it all if I'm going to be this tired and this frazzled and I'm not going to actually absorb this information because it's crucial not only to me and applicable to me straight away, but it's also crucial to the people that I'm going to be helping. So uh, I took 12 months off um, and it coincided with meeting my beautiful husband and his two kids. And um, that 12 months, by the end of that, he'd asked me to marry him. And um, I went back and I said, well, you know, yes, absolutely I will, but I, I this is my my path in life so i'm going to go back and finish this degree so what you're alluding to before is i uh traveled i did uh i did my time in pathology at the at st vincent's hospital then i'd go to student clinics then i'd go to classes then i'd come back um, fly back from Coolangatta. Uh, back to Newcastle and spend the weekend as as stepmom and as wife and as um, tuck shop assistant <laughs> and then uh, I'd fly back on the Monday afternoon back to doing um, my uni degree and finishing um, working as well. Yeah. When you realised that you had burn, burnt out, was it clinical burnout or was it just a little bit tired? Did it progress from there? Did it worsen or was that the point in your life where you realised what am I doing? I'm going to fix it from here on in. So, there, I'm, I'm, uh, 
the reason that I, I claim expert in burnout is because I've actually experienced it multiple times and didn't really take any notice of it until I really had some, uh, some health issues from it. So that, that first experience of it um, was just to continue uh, to recognise the, the signs and symptoms. The second time was I was trying to fall pregnant. <laughs> Right. whilst traveling in between states oh, and doing all these other things and I just my logical mind didn't quite understand why I wasn't falling pregnant and of course um that's a wonderful thing to bring to my clients as well <laughs> isn't it amazing though that even as practitioners with all of our knowledge and supposed common sense about pathophysiology we still have issues with day-to-day living that we have to learn the lessons to go aha I know this I know what's going on and I can bring that to your patient care absolutely yeah and and it's usually not until that crux point that that you get it Uh, but my crux point again didn't happen just then and I did fall pregnant I had my son I started my clinic and um, my clinic accelerated very quickly Um, my business acumen bolstered quite quickly and so for the after about the first two years in practice I ended up seeing around about uh, 1,200 people in one year and uh, you know that's it's one hour half hour full uh, in with those people in their lives in their in their stuff um, and I didn't realize until I actually had to take time out and look back on on the things I was producing at the time videos I was producing e-courses I was producing all sorts of things when I actually looked at the woman who was in those videos if I had seen her walk through my clinic doors, I would have been so worried about her gut health, so worried about her thyroid, let alone her adrenals pushing, pushing that envelope. And she was fierce and she was out of balance with the masculine and feminine. She was all sorts of things. And unfortunately, she was me. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I took a month off in Bali, actually, and um, really reconnected with the things that were um, important to me and really reconnected with that um, that real uh, feminine side of practice that I had ignored because I was very masculine, I was very achievement orientated, very science-based, very business-based. And then I, I started to bring in self-care. <laughs> wow, what do you know? <laughs> it works. And, um, and it really changed the way that I, I practiced and what I then was able to produce for others. Yeah. Now you've written a book called Freedom from Fatigue, Naturally Healing Entrepreneurial Burnout, which obviously is for the more professional. We'll delve into that, but also talk about those patients that come in that aren't necessarily entrepreneurial, but are still suffering this burnout from the 21st century living and how you can practically elicit changes to the busy lifestyle, because these people are busy. That's why they have burnout. Um, do you see, this is a very generalised question, but do you tend to see a type of personality with these sort of patients? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Uh, short answer. <laughs> and it's those people. <laughs> so um, the adrenal fatigue type, the, um, the 21st century symptomology of busy being busy, uh, yes, absolutely. So um, the type is is the overachiever, the perfectionist, the um, strive, drive, doer, the um, please everybody, say yes to everybody, um, and 
in my clinical practice, I started to narrow down and narrow down into predominantly women and um, and caregivers. So that might be uh, practitioners, which I saw a lot of, um, might be mothers, it might be daughters of elderly um, parents, and it might be nurses, it might be, it's those caregiver roles that they put everybody else first and they want everything done right. And um, yeah, it's definitely that, that kind of what about men though yep so from a men uh, the males that i saw it was the overachiever it was um striving and driving for um the acclaim the um position at work the position in the family the position and in the doing of that we forget about being us and uh in the doing of that we forget that we have a body and that poor body uh shows you signs and symptoms so these are very commonly the social mores, but also the, let's say, more stereotypical expectations of certainly the males, the, the breadwinner, the status, the, you know, the standout strong um, persona and, and energy in the family unit and that sort of thing. So what is it about these people that came undone compared to the people that, that obviously you haven't seen? Um, that are carrying on, what do you see was perhaps different in these people that where they just went too far and their body started to get clinical symptoms? Sometimes it's not about the body going too far, it's just about awareness. All of a sudden, the things that they were putting up with uh, from a symptom picture perspective, they won't put up with anymore. So that classic fatigue pattern, uh, waking up exhausted, basically being exhausted all day, but predominantly two to four o'clock in the afternoon slump where they literally can't function. They literally can't work. Um, they may even, you know, sneak out to the car or sneak into a back room to actually have a nap or they might be slamming eight cups of coffee or the mother drinks or the caffeinated whatever beverage that they, they're slamming. They come good around dinner time, but then uh, you know, nighttime is either a write-off because they, they're falling asleep before 8 o'clock or 9.30 uh, with the, the thyroid, and then they'll have that second wind. And most of the men will see with second winds um, because their, their cortisol levels are just... Uh, and that second wind, unfortunately, for most men, turns into a cycle of worry about money or worry about finances, worry about status, whatever that happens to be and um, becomes an insomnia. So for, from a women's perspective, we uh, have that uh, fatigue pattern, but it's more, oh, I'm tired, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then there's the sick element with um, immune system dysregulation and all of a sudden going on holidays and being sick. And that's, that's more, the women tend to notice that kind of thing. Um, so that was an interesting thing because it's a classic thing that we talk about. You know, you're, you're so energized up during your working life you go on holidays and you get a cold. And that's the classic thing that we talk about. But most people would just go, oh, therefore just support the immune system rather than looking deeper at a much more foundational problem with your whole energy. Not, it's not just now, it's not just the sleep last night. It's the whole reason for all of this being. But how do you pick it? There are always obstacles in the way. And the obstacle in the way is what you need to be looking at, not the destination necessarily. So the obstacles in the way when it comes to adrenal stress, because your adrenals are picking up on physical stress, emotional stress and mental stress. 
Um, they're not really knowing the difference because of our beautiful limbic system. But what's happening there is you're getting sensors and alert signals from all sorts of things, not just from your boss being a prick on a Friday afternoon, not from, um, you know, your kids just harping on you for X, Y and Z, but also from uh, your thyroid. Often, you know, I get women coming in with... um, I just can't lose weight. Some of their classic picture might not show thyroid necessarily, but that might be something that needs supporting. Then we've got uh, your gastrointestinal tract. That big 12 meter long tube has a whole bunch of different jobs to do. And it's a physical stress when it's not being looked after. So you can't just go and head and fix the adrenals if you're constantly dealing with an IBS issue or a neurotransmitter dysfunction because your gut isn't working there, there terribly well. And then we move on to neurotransmitters. If we're talking about the biochemistry that's happening in the brain, they're so intricately linked with your adrenals. And if you have a constant banter of self-hate going up there, you're creating chemistry for that. If you're creating that chemistry, then what on earth do your adrenals have to go on? It's only messages that come from your brain. Then you've got uh, other things that stand in the way, including the amount of energy and nutrients you come come by to create your adrenaline. So we're talking about vitamin and mineral deficiencies. We're not talking about just treating the adrenals. We're talking about whole vitamin and mineral deficiencies, magnesium, B12, zinc, and vitamin C being the predominant ones for adrenals. And then uh, we've got other issues when it comes to um, sex hormones and uh, whereabouts you are in your lifespan. You know, these are all impacting adrenal health and the way in which people deal with stress so you can't just treat the adrenals there's all this this feedback mechanism for all of it and um and then even if we're not talking on just a purely physical level if people are talking to themselves in the mirror every morning and telling themselves how how horrible their life is how horrible things are and not creating that space for gratitude and all these things that we think we know about but are actually scientifically proven, uh, then we're starting from a very different place. Now, you said a word there that keys directly into one that I always twig from Lee Zalchler, just a favourite person on this earth of mine, and that is the word gratitude. So when, as you say, there's all of these pressures to perform, particularly women, like women are, they can be really horrible to each other. You know, the expectations that mothers place on themselves because of their peer groups and media and all that sort of thing, new mothers, um, about having the perfect post-pregnancy body and and being the perfect mother when they go to play group and where's little Johnny at with their, um, um, you know, landmarks of behaviour. And there's so much going on. Getting back to that word gratitude, how do you change the mindset of somebody that's caught up in... I'm failing to I have gratitude for what I have in my life when I see this type of mindset there's a whole bunch of reasons that's happening in the first place but there's two main things one is it's okay to be not okay rather than making it wrong making it a clinical picture making a symptom making a diagnosis sometimes it's just okay to be not okay for a while and instead of making that the thing that you continually focus on because if you're not okay then you're not okay and that's bad and then and and we've got a spiral going south if you're okay with it not being okay then at least it isn't going south and then there is the practice 
So one of them is being okay with not being okay. The other one is, is practice. Just like practicing uh, when it comes to your physical well-being and practicing sit-ups to get more of them, to practice push-ups to get stronger. To get, it's a practice of gratitude. And uh, one of the classic is a, is a gratitude journal. Um, gratitude journals before you go to bed, writing down the three things that you are most grateful for before you go to bed. That happened in that day, that happened in the three days prior. And it's that practice that creates the new neural pathways. And a neural pathway is just like if you had a back shed in your backyard and your backyard is overgrown with weeds and, and lawn, and you know that that shed exists over there. You know that gratitude is over there. But, you know, you, you're so used to going down the, um, the garden path that's well worn. You're so used to going down that driveway. But it's quicker and easier if you just shot straight through the lawn. But you'd have to keep going there and going there and going there to create that pathway again. But once you've done it, it's bang. It's a pathway. So, yeah, there's the practice part of it. And, and it's essential. The same thing happens with meditation. The same thing happens with all of these um, new technologies that are actually, uh, you know, classical old, old school. Yeah, I love that, uh, you know, s cognitive behaviour therapy, which Dr. Mark Donahoe will slap me around with a piece of forba too. He'll always call it mindfulness. And now they're calling it apparently mindful cognitive behaviour therapy. But it's all the things that we should have been doing along the way. But now, of course, it's science. How do you bridge that gap between, as I said before, that more artistic expression in your life and the science of the neural pathways? Like that was a great, I've got to say, it's such simple tools about doing, having a gratitude journal. Simple things that Joe Blow the bricklayer or Mrs. Miss, Ms. Uh, tuck shop lady can do every night and I won't say claw their way back, but work their way, work their way back to, to health. What other hints and tips can you give our listeners that they can then impart to their patients that can help them with burnout? Yeah, so um, the, the classic thing that I noticed was that I, I didn't notice myself that I had burnout. And you'll notice that it, for me, my clients, often they don't realise they have burnout either until you create an awareness that, uh, of the signs and symptoms that they should be looking for. I'm massive on education for uh, clients, not just doling out, obviously, you know, it's very easy to, to dole out vitamins and minerals and, and you know, the next fang-dangled supplement that they told you about last seminar. But the, the, what you're talking about is somebody being empowered by their own body somebody being empowered from within that they want to change. And so the only way to do that is through education. So teach them about their adrenals, teach them about what happens with their mind and how it's affected. Teach them about uh, the, the classic signs and symptoms that they should be looking at as a red light. Just like um, you have traffic lights, there's going to be a red light zone where you go, oh no, if I drive through there, I'm definitely going to get a fine. And that fine might be um, laying on my back for five days straight, or it might be my immune system clapping out if I've got autoimmune, or it might be a thyrotoxicosis if it's, and that's driven by the adrenals. So 
if you've got um, an orange light scenario, you might get to a point where you're, uh, you know, you're not doing P45 or CrossFit every day of the week, twice a day, and maybe you could do it once a week and then see how actually feel into your, what your body's doing. And then sometimes you'll get this green light scenario where you can get away with whatever you can get away with. Um, and you're supporting the system to do it. Um, and yeah, that is all in my, uh, in my book. And there's some amazing uh, uh, images and really, you know, a, a, a picture speaks a thousand words. Some amazing images that you just literally have to uh, explain to people to understand in a really simple way what's going on in their health and their well-being, um, especially with their adrenals. So, and those obstacles that are standing in the way. But okay, my top five tips when it comes to adrenals. Yes, you're all gonna know that um, adaptogens are extraordinary and wonderful, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there are plenty of different things on the market for that. You're also gonna know that there's vitamins and minerals that are specific for uh, creating adrenaline. Um, and that's wonderful as well. Magnesium, B12, zinc, and vitamin C are the predominant ones that just get sucked to the bejesus out of it, uh, as well as your other B vitamins. But you need to know if they're actually low. So go and do a test. Go and do a test when it comes to their cortisol. Go and do a test when it comes to their vitamin mineral status. Go and do a test when it comes to um, all those obstacles I talked about before that are standing in the way because until you get those underlying obstacles, you're not gonna have a clear path to, to health. Next one is about um, the science behind things like spending time out in nature. You know, 20 minutes 20 minutes out in nature gives you 21 hours worth of juice with your cortisol. Your cortisol drops by 50%, which basically means you double your energy and you halve your stress for the next 21 hours after spending 20 minutes out in nature. Who can't do 20 minutes out in nature? Now that we're talking about the people who are in uh, offices, not going out, eating at, um, their lunch at their desk, all that kind of stuff. All they have to do is get outside for 20 minutes. You're bringing that cortisol and you're training that cortisol to come back down again. You're not gonna have the same kind of uh, issues that you were having before. Next one's around sleep. Sleep is massive. There is no way adrenals can come back online unless you've got sleep. Um, sleep hygiene, you should have a fact sheet around sleep hygiene and tips and tricks for people in their sleep. Ariana Huffington has an extraordinary book that it has a lot of scientific research in it for the lay person um, called Sleep Revolution. And uh, the third one is around um, the third space. That one to four hours a week doing something you enjoy, you feel joy whilst you're doing it, away from work and away from home. And family. And away from family, yeah, and away from home and family. It's your thing. So, um, again, this is based on a lot of scientific, sociological, as well as, um, as, well as cortisol and biochemical-based stuff, that one to four hours a week doing something you enjoy, running those endorphins through, it's like a little um, oil change, you know, a little tweak, a little maintenance in that week that regulates your cortisol and creates a, a system that is regulated, not dysregulated. And if that's happening regularly every week, then you're gonna get it back online a bit quicker and easier. But you've really created a space here for peace. And you've got the message, but how do different people either allow themselves or create something in their home or in their home environment that can have that ah moment for them what what sort of suggestions would you have for them yeah how do i how did i create it first i wrote down the top five things that i wanted in my life so the top five things that i wanted to surround myself in 
I often talk about this story when I was in cancer research, one of the things that we, um, we used to do to create cell lines um, to do a test on is that we would grab these cells from, uh, you know, sub-zero and we'd stick them into a petri dish of sorts and we would add um, a growth medium which had the right hormones, the right vitamins, the right nutrients, the right fluid and then we put it into an environment that it loved, 37 degrees, certain temperature, certain pressure, into the incubator, and then we'd pull it out the next day and it'd be perfect. It would be uh, a confluent monolayer of cells and we'd be able to test it. Now, if we stuck those same cells into an environment that they got put in and out of, that we opened and checked on all of the time in that Petri dish, opened it, checked it, opened it, checked it, stuck it over on the, the bench or stuck it in front of the sunlight, and then we stuck it in an environment that it did like, those cells the next day would show four things. One is that they'd have mycoplasma infection, so their immune system would be screwed. Next, they'd have an overpopulation of genetic mutations, so they would actually be growing tumours. Third thing would be apoptosis, so would, those cells would be committing cell suicide in different areas. And the fourth one would be this dysregulation of the, the messaging that was happening between them all. And if we are a big bag of three trillion cells, or thereabouts, then what are we going to do to put ourselves in an environment in which that we thrive, that which our bodies don't create cancer, that don't create immune system dysfunction, that don't create a suicide scenario, and that we can have clear messages and thoughts that go through us. So I, I picked the five things that I absolutely love. I love nature. I love being outside. I love... Um, an environment that it has my family around me. I love that connection. I love a space that I can be creative and that's that element of arts and, and English and that's why I write books and I, and I draw. And I also love a good library. So I've got a library wall full of books because I, I also love that other side of me. So I'm just going to read a little excerpt from your book, Free, Freedom from Fatigue. Don't say that on a Friday night. Sometimes your best medicine is, is to stuff your principles. And it, it came from you meeting an old lady when you were going to take some blood from her. Can you take us through? This, this could be quite challenging because I think for many patients, this is something where it may be that they might have to change their job or change something very ingrained in their life. Take our listeners through what you mean by stuff your principles. Yeah, so this has happened multiple times. I, I, I do have a, a, a good one in the, in the book around um, sometimes we create an environment or we create a, um, a system or a um, family relationship or a uh, work scenario that uh, isn't healthy for us. And when that happens... Um, there is a choice. There is a choice to either go along with that and live with the consequences of that and those consequences might be symptoms and they might be signs and they might be, you know, and in one case uh, <laughs> I had a third generation baker who used to come and visit me with his migraines and his eczema and I would suggest to him quite nicely and easily that uh, maybe we should do a test and find out whether or not he was reacting to wheat or something in the wheat. And he would tell me to go get stuffed and uh, he would 
he's not going to give up his pie and coke for breakfast because there isn't any time in his day to do anything else. And unfortunately, I had a sense that his cells were not happy around that. And, um, and it was this moment of explaining to him about stuffy principles. Stuffy principles, I don't care about your pie and coke. I care about your body. You came, you, you paid me money to tell you about your body. Your body's not happy. We're going to do that test. So we did the test. What do you know? He's got a four plus reaction, IgG mediated reaction to wheat and gluten. And he sticks his hands right up until his shoulders, which are covered in eczema, in wheat bags every single day and has done for his entire adult life. And so did his dad and so did his granddad. And he listened to me explaining all of these, uh, these things that his body was going through. And I didn't hear from him for six months. And his wife came back into me uh, for something else, actually. And I said, oh, you know, your husband, what happened there? I, I think I might have scared him off. And in actual fact, uh, she said, oh, he's changed his job. He's doing an entirely different job. He's never been better. He hasn't had a migraine since and eczema is completely gone. And whatever you said to him that day, he's completely changed his life. And he's the best, most present dad that he's ever been. So sometimes it is a matter of stuff your principles from like a generational perspective. And to do that, uh, yeah, it takes a bit of courage. And um, yeah, but it's very, very worthwhile in the end. Now I want to move on to courage and your entrepreneurialism. Tammy, you're a little bit, bit of a different breed because you don't just do naturopathic consultations. Indeed, you've, you've now closed down your practice here in preparation for something rather exciting. You're going to fly around the world. Tell me why. <laughs> so I'm not just going to fly around the world. I'm going to go around the world in a helicopter backwards. So uh, <laughs> not backwards physically, but yeah, the, the predominant prevailing winds is um, that we would usually go east, uh, sorry, west to east, but I'm going east to west around the world. So um, yes, why? Well, I think it's another story of burnout, to be honest. Uh, I ran a fantastic practice here in, in Newcastle for six years, loved it, um, learned a lot, uh, created a massive impact in the community here, employed um, lots of amazing practitioners and staff and the whole process of running a business, uh, a naturopathic business, is an amazing feat in and of itself. So you don't have to go from that to flying a helicopter around the world. It is an amazing feat to do that these days. And um, what I noticed about that was um, I got to the, the pinnacle of where I wanted to go with that and um, the types of people that I wanted to help. And I, it, I, it got so much more narrowed that it was so similar to the people it's, it was so similar to helping myself. Mm. And so I, um, I did uh, sell that business and I now help um, uh, entrepreneurs via um, Skype with their health and their well-being. And I also help naturopaths with their businesses. I also did it because if I'm traveling around the world, I want to be able to help people continuously and I want to be able to do it in an online component, not, not in a bricks and mortar component. But I want to travel around the world to help people. The same reason that I started um, naturopathy is to help people and I want to bring awareness to things that I can see on a global scale but I can't have an impact on on a global scale at the moment. But uh, travelling around the world will definitely do that. 
and it hasn't been done before. So, you know, I, I don't mind a little bit of a challenge. And if um, a woman can do it, may as well be me. Tell me about the actual aircraft that you've chosen. Why? And, and you know, look, what sort of stints are you going to be doing? You're going to be doing like 20 hours flying. I don't Does a helicopter fly that far in one stint? So uh, the, whole, the whole element of it, <laughs> the whole element of it is that I was at um, the Australian Museum looking at an exhibition called the Trailblazers uh, Exhibition. 100 Australians had, that have trailblazed uh, through, say, for instance, Burke and Wills, and then we had um, some others that have gone uh, over the Blue Mountains, others that have gone across Mongolia. We've got... Um, uh, the young sailors that have gone all the way around the world, circumnavigated the globe. And then I got to the aircraft area and there's these amazing, um, you know, Amelia Earhart style stuff, um, where there's these amazing women that flew biplanes when biplane wasn't even a way of, you know, traveling. And um, I saw their one little line all around the globe and I thought, oh, that's amazing. Went and saw the next one, that's amazing. And I came across Dick Smith's and he had, you know, 20 odd different lines going all different directions around the globe. And I thought, my God, why can't a woman do that too? And then I thought, well, why can't it be me? So he'd, he'd done it in um, small aircraft, multiple small aircraft, multiple helicopters and even hot air balloons. And I, um, I, I, tr I, I got a, um, a few hours up in fixed wing when I was a teenager uh, towards my um, pilot's license then and um, I gave it away because we moved around a lot. My dad was in the Air Force and um, coming back around to that, that burnt out mum kind of scenario, I, I reinvigorated um, through seeing that, that um, exhibition, it reinvigorated in me that little spark in my belly that I loved flying and to get to the areas that I want to go to in the world. I don't want to go through airports. So I can land wherever I want when there's a helicopter. So I'm literally going to get my helicopter pilot, pilot's license instead of my fixed wing so that I can land absolutely wherever I want, whenever I want, um, albeit uh, fuel remaining. Yeah. And uh, helicopters can only go 800 kilometers with an extra fuel tank. Right. So there's going to be around about 28 stops. Um, around the globe to get all the way around. But hang on, Dick Smith is, was, uh, a millionaire. How's Tammy Guest going to accomplish this feat? Mm. So uh, what I've learnt from the entrepreneurial journey is that if you have a dream and if that vision is strong enough, it will come about. You'll meet the right person at the right time with the right conversation. That person will hear the right podcast or the right, <laughs> the right moment. And that will spur on a condition by which you get that thing done. Uh, no one would have thought that I would have turned over the multiple six figures in the two, first two years out of uni, but I did. Um, no one would have guessed that I'd have seen so many thousands of people in my practice um, with you know, the prevailing idea that we as naturopaths don't have a market which is insane but if your belief is there and if you have the right skills and the right know-how and the right people um, absolutely it'll come through so I already have a couple of uh, backers that I'm talking to around it um, I also have a person in the know uh, within um, our circles that uh, owns multiple helicopters 
Um, we're also looking at bringing on board a couple of um, sponsors because we're going to be doing some different things around the globe when it comes to helping um, on the ground with public health around um, uh, nutrition in particular with kids and um, public health when it comes to um, just basic hygiene depending on where we are. And then we're also looking at bringing on research partners when it comes to helping in an environmental and health aspect, depending on where we're landing in the world. So where there's a will, there's a way. Tammy, you are one impressive human, human being, I've got to say, um, not the least of which is that you have had that power to recognise within yourself something's wrong within me and reclaim that power that you had and indeed to then, I'm going to overuse that word, to then empower others into reclaiming their lives and getting back their energy and the, indeed their life and love of what's around them. Let's talk briefly about the struggling naturopathic practitioner out there. And let's be honest, in Australia, there does seem to be this poor mentality taught to naturopaths, which I, I just totally refute. There's enough sick people out there to go around, you know, and you and I were speaking just before about a lady called Keone Moore who realised that herself in a very hard way. Tell me how you realised the, the, I mean, they are basic business principles, but tell me how you realised them for naturopathic practice to engender wealth and abundance. So the... Things that we do within the body are exactly the same things that we do within uh, businesses. And what, um, you know, there is an abundance of cells. There is an abundance of um, receptor sites on those cells. There's an abundance of proteins within there that create an abundance of hormones and an abundance of messengers that actually get to an abundance of different systems that happen to be in an abundance of human beings that happen to be on a planet that there is an abundance of um, environmental and incredible resources around. And those systems are creating an abundance of thoughts and ideas and uh, emotions and intelligence and um, capacity for just a, a phenomenal amount of wealth and abundance. We just don't use those words the way that, that we should, really. And when we look at the, the environment and the ideas for naturopaths around wealth and abundance, there's this, like you were saying, there's this predominant lack mentality of there isn't enough clients, there isn't enough time to see the clients and those clients don't have enough money. And that's a total load of rubbish. There are, and, and all of that comes from the inside. If you believe that, then that's exactly what you're going to see. Just the same as if your client believes that they're sick, they're going to be sick. Um, if you're seeing all the worst case scenario stuff, you're going to have somebody who's um, worst case scenario. When you see best case scenario, that there is an abundance of um, ways in which we can access people that we never had before. There is free marketing. There is free opportunities to um, create circles of influence for he the health and the well-being of so many more people on the planet than just your little community that is around you. But if that's your thing that you want to be in the community around you, there's other resources and ways and means to do that in a way that there never has been before. The internet is an extraordinary way of getting to the peeps that need you and your particular vibe um, to create your particular tribe. 
um, having access to a, a video camera that is on your phone. You, people can know, like, and trust who you are from just a, a Snapchat picture, from an Instagram picture, from these free ways of getting in front of people. And um, if all of those things happen in your mind to get in the way of that, I ask you if that's actually a crap rule. If that's actually cruel to yourself crap rule or if it's actually a rule that was made up by somebody else and is actually is that actually true for you and if it's not true for you try something different try and get out there try and um, try Facebook try Instagram try um, whatever means that you haven't tried before to get in front of the people because there is so many people that are unwell there's so many people that need optimal health so many people who are tired, so many people who are stressed, and so many people who need us and our particular ways and means of um, helping people. Tammy, you're an extraordinary human being who has had the foresight to reclaim your power and your energy, and then your love of patience and life has, has enabled you to find the energy to write your book, Freedom From Fatigue, which we'll put up on the FX Medicine website. But also I love the way which you brought the science and the energy together and you really, you know, make a call out for those rigid science-based only practitioners to reclaim the nature that's so important for all of us. Indeed, to elicit scientific change, to, to elicit a biochemical change in the, in the health of our patients. And I really do, I, I just hope everybody looks, uh, tags on to TammyGuest.com and learns more about your exploits in the future, but also gets the book and, and really learns about how to re-energize their life for a life of abundance and gratitude. Tammy, I really thank you for joining us on FX Medicine today. Thanks, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook. FX Medicine is your gateway to news, resources, and information on the safe, evidence-based approach to practicing complementary and integrative medicine. Visit fxmedicine.com.au to sign up for e-news and stay up to date with the latest research, podcasts and industry information.